can hear it, it's July the 14th and we've been talking about it for long enough but it's time we finally started talking about Bastille Day, the national holiday of the 5th French Republic. Uh, Today of course is a day when millions of French people in all corners of the earth will celebrate the anniversary of a key moment in their story, the storming of the Bastille prison. It was of course a global news story when it happened but perhaps nowhere outside of France was the event as widely celebrated as it was here in Ireland. Tens of thousands of people took to the streets on Bastille Bastille Day anniversaries in the late 18th century in sometimes highly seditious commemorations and celebrations of the day that the walls of the French prison came tumbling down. And as you'd expect, of course, Donald Fallon is here to tell us all about it. Donald, good afternoon. It's good to be here. I haven't got a word of French. Je ne parle pas français, but we'll we'll go through this in English. It's always ironic when people say they can't speak French and they say it in perfect French, even with the slight Dublin lilt coming through it all I, I learned how to say when I was in France, I'm not... British, I'm Irish, and I don't speak French. Okay. They've they've got a real animosity towards English tourists that I can't explain, but anyway, I managed to dance around it. It's up there with the old (laughs) dos cervezas per favor, isn't it, up there? It's the classic one line that you need. Uh, Um, Human history, of course, changed forever in some ways at the Bastille. Absolutely. I mean, did any event transform human history quite like the French Revolution? And, you know, its effects were so keenly felt in this country. And I think every moment and every great moment in history, you know, there's, there's key moments that make their mark in popular memory. The French Revolution, it's the beheading of the king, you know, upon the guillotine. Mm. A ruthlessly efficient invention, by the way. You know, and who would have believed even 10 years earlier that a monarch could end up on a guillotine? That's one such moment. But the storming of the Bastille, you know, which is honoured today by French people right across the world, uh, is also one of these key moments. And I think more than anything, when that happened, it, it, it caused millions of people around the world to reconsider the possibilities mm. uh, of life. Things that seemed indestructible fell. And the power of the mob, you know, for better or worse, that divided opinion at the time but the power of the mob very much revealed itself Yeah, nothing was really off limits after that That we, we think of, of kings as being very neutral characters back then but they were political beings but they did also claim divine rights so Absolutely. the idea that you were getting rid of a king and then quite literally beheading them in the public Nothing square. disproved the divine right to rule like, a, like an angry mob Yeah <laughs> there's, there's one that you can put on someone's headstone sometime uh, Of course those who saw it firsthand, this is a, a process that's been very romanticised since but those who saw uh, the, the operation of Madame Guillotine in action they weren't terribly yeah, romantic we, about the whole thing. Yeah, when you live through things like this on the streets, you know, Daniel O'Connell was in France when the French Revolution took hold and was mm. terrified by it and he didn't run to a barricade. I mean, we all like to think, what would you do if you were alive at the time? I like to think I'd run to a barricade. Daniel O'Connell ran to a boat and he got out of France as quickly as he could. <laughs> Thomas Jefferson was, was in Paris at the time, later president, yeah. then basically US ambassador to France. And I mean, his account is brilliant. He talks about the people arming themselves with uh, whatever weapons they could find in armourer shops and private houses and with bludgeons, mm. roaming all night through all parts of the city without any decided and practical objects. So like the looters on the streets of Dublin mm. during the Rising, you know, when, when a key event in history happens mm. on the streets, there's a certain air of madness. But it's, it's, it's interesting that someone who was later, you know, seen as a revolutionary in his own country would see a revolution sprouting somewhere else where he was effectively a diplomat and he would write it off as just basically looting and mobbery. Very much so, but it's, it's, it's a symbolic victory. You know, whatever about the, the behaviour of people on the streets, the symbolic victory is the fall of a prison on mm. which work had begun in 1357, which is just wow. extraordinary, yeah. and which had really been at the centre of French history you know, for so long. There were very few prisoners inside the walls of the Bastille at the time that it was mm. raided. But that meant very little. But the Bastille represented, in terms of bricks and mortar, was more important. And it represented kind of royal authority in the eyes of the French. And they felt, for that reason, it had to go. Now, there was a Dubliner inside the prison, <laughs> one, of the, one of the very few people. You, well, fortunate to some degree, because obviously he got out, but unfortunate.
unfortunate because of the fact that the circumstances of how uh, we got out. Has anything ever happened in human history where it wasn't some Irish person standing in the background or, you know, <laughs> or yeah. there in, in some capacity? Yeah. If you go down to Epic Ireland in the, in the docks, the Museum of the Irish Diaspora, you think no one's ever no one's ever turned a page in this, in this planet without an Irish person being involved mm. in some way. And Frank McNally, brilliant writer. I love Frank McNally's column. Uh, in the Irish Times, the Irishman's Diary, he jokes that the storming of the Bastille is like the French equivalent of the storming of the GPO. That is to say that the numbers have been greatly exaggerated by time yeah. and the tale itself has been somewhat <laughs> exaggerated. But as McNally has written, and this is this is a documented fact of history, one of the few prisoners who's inside the Bastille at the time it's raided is a guy called James Francis Xavier White, who's born in Dublin. And he's a veteran of the French Armed Forces who had a kind of mental health breakdown. And I mean, the 18th century, people weren't as enlightened as they are today. That mm. was an easy way to find yourself in prison. So he's not the only so-called you know, insane prisoner within the walls of the prison when the mob arrives. But it's amazing to think of this Irishman who finds himself by total chance in, in the mix of this great moment yeah. of madness. And uh, the Said, who gave us the term sadism, had actually been a prisoner in the Bastille okay. only weeks earlier though he was released fortunately for him okay. just before the crowds arrived yeah, I suppose people probably forget that it, it was something of, of an asylum as well as uh, somewhere that you just incarper- incarcerated some, some ne'er-do-wells um, of course it being a big revolution and it being on a big European country not too far away from here everyone here had, had an opinion about what went on in the Bastille. Absolutely. And what had happened in France and, and, and America was giving some people hope and some reason cause for concern in Ireland. And a lot of eyes in this country were focused uh, on France. So Theobald Wolfe Tone, you know, the founding father of the United mm-hmm. Irishman, he had massive faith that there would be a French-led invasion uh, of Ireland. But in his diary, he reflects on the difference between how Irish and French people would respond to a moment like the fall of the Bastille. He says, an Irish mob would have plundered but shed no blood. A Parisian mob murders but respects property which is worse I lean to the Frenchman more manly our mob very shabby fellows but the world was kind of struggling to understand the French Revolution and mm. on the other side from, from Wolf Tone was Edmund Burke you know, the, the man who stands outside Trinity College yeah, yeah. the father of modern conservative political thinking and he took a very different view of the world You know, he referred to the French as the, the swinish multitude which is like one of the great insults uh, wow. of political history and as far as he was concerned this wasn't the birth of a great new society this was the the end of civilization uh, as we knew it and thankfully you know Burke his pamphlet reflections on the revolution in France that begins one of the greatest intellectual debates of human history in the other corner was Thomas Paine uh, sometimes remembered as a founding father of the United States of America but he was mm. so angry when he read Burke's pamphlet that he wrote one back uh, in response and Paine had this great eternal optimism he said it's the age of revolutions in which everything can be looked for and that appealed to kind of young and politically hungry people uh, in Ireland but there was no greater way for you to say I support the French Revolution. Yeah. I support what they've done in France and the vision of it than coming out onto the streets uh, on Bastille Day. I'm struck that the, the father of modern conservatism thought that that sort of revolution was basically the downfall of society. You'd wonder if Edmund Burke were still around to witness some of the ways in which the world is turning today, exactly what he would make of people who mm. profess to be acting in the name of uh, of conservatism. But that, that's neither here nor there. Um, the anniversary then of Bastille Day, the 14th of July, uh, becomes a rallying point, and surprisingly so, in this part of the world. Absolutely. And I mean, you get these great scenes on the streets in particular in Dublin uh, and Belfast you know there's the presence of kind of uniformed men marching in military procession uh, very worrying thing if you're the authorities mm. banners proclaiming support uh, for the revolution and and marching bands and it's clear that you know while Edmund Burke might have been horrified by the spectacle of revolution in France there were a lot of people on the streets in Irish cities uh, who embraced it and, and, and supported it 
Uh, and just as it's the case where one of the world's biggest St. Patrick's Day parades is in Savannah in Georgia, hardly known as being one of the four green fields, mm. oddly enough, uh, one of the biggest celebrations of Bastille Day, even impressing those in France who yes. led the revolution, is in Belfast. It's on the streets of Belfast and there's this incredible moment. One participant in the in the first ever Belfast Bastille Day, he says, the company to which I belonged marched in coloured clothes with green ribbons with a green flag bearing for a motto on one side, our Gallic brother was born July 14th, 1789. Alas, we are still an embryo. And on the other side, superstitious galaxy, the Irish Bastille, let us unite and destroy it. That's a lot of words for one banner. It is, yeah. But these yeah. men parade through That's the streets. small typeface. And yeah. Belfast was the centre of everything really. I mean, it was the only proper industrial city uh, in Ireland. The linen industry was thriving. I mean, there were working people in Belfast in a way that there weren't in Dublin. The place felt very, uh, it felt like a modern day metropolis, a Mm. city of the world. And the United Irishmen have been born there in a pub in Belfast. Their first ever meeting, they raised two toasts, one to George Washington and one to King George the Last, which is a (laughs) very, very seditious kind of quote. this, This Bastille Day in Belfast is absolutely amazing. I mean, they carry banners with pictures of, of Benjamin Franklin uh, on them. And there's a lovely banner. Can the slave trade, though morally wrong, be politically right? So they seem to be tapping into, you know, there's this political cosmopolitanism in Belfast at the yeah. time. Kind of ironic, actually, given the, the stalemate in, in northern politics now and, mm. and the DUP. But Belfast is the centre of political cosmopolitanism, Protestants in particular, at this time. And they have views. There's international connotations beyond just the storming of the Bastille. The French directory, when they learn about what's happened in Belfast, they're amazed by it. And they congratulate the people of Belfast on this kind of astonishing scene. There's a, a message of support sent from Paris uh, to Belfast. Mm. Wolf Tone then, 1792, 20,000 people march in procession from West Belfast into the city. So Belfast is is buzzing, really, in the aftermath yeah. uh, of what's happened on the streets of Paris. Uh, altogether different sort of parade in the second week of July yes, uh, up there yes. too. Uh, I hadn't even thought of that. Yeah, but, a very but, different parade. But very quickly, uh, and only by, by 1793, uh, very quickly the tide turns and suddenly then you can't have such public displays yeah. of sports. So explain why. You can walk around the streets of Dublin in 1792 saying, I think the French Revolution is a good thing. You might end up in prison, but that, that's about it. Mm. By 1793, I mean, any kind of public expression like that for the French Revolution is off the cards because Britain and France are at war Uh, and the United Irishmen are basically driven uh, underground but they keep doing it they have like clandestine commemorations and celebrations of the Bastille so they go up into the mountains uh, at Belfast so they have private gatherings and taverns and meeting rooms uh, in Dublin but something was coming you know we were heading towards our own attempted revolution 1798 when the blood was spilled Mm. and when the blood was spilled the authorities had no doubt in their mind that the French Revolution was to blame you know in the house of Commons, the blame was put, quote, on the destructive principles which originally produced the French Revolution. So a lot was born uh, at the gates of the Bastille, arguably mm. Irish republicanism. And no more obvious uh, greater link than the, the design of our own tricolour, very much inspired by the tricolour flown uh, at those times as well. Donald, as ever, uh, thank you for that. Donald Fallon is a historian. He's the author of the Come Here To Me blog and books, volumes one and two of which are available in all good bookshops now.